Hello, and welcome to the Clearfort Community Church Podcast. Our hope with this podcast is that you would be encouraged by the weekly teaching from God's Word, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. To learn more about Clearfort Community Church, go to clearfortchurch.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Clearfort Church. Now, let's jump into this week's message. Fruit of the Spirit in Galatians is love, what? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, if you're walking in the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God is within you, he's saying a fruit that ought to come out of you is love, but the second one is joy. Joyful love is really the way it should be interpreted, that joy should be a part of your life. I pray that Clear Fork, that our church would be characterized by joy. I pray if you're visiting here this morning and you come, more people that come in the future, that they would, they would say, hey, the preaching wasn't all that great, the music was great, but there was other things, but there was one thing about it, those people were joyful. Those people, I could see the joy of the Lord in them. And as your pastor, I pray that you would say, hey, our pastor, he's, he's got a lot of messed up things, but he's a guy full of joy. I hope that's the way you could say that. And listen, if there's ever a time you see me over a period of time not exemplifying joy, I want you to call me out on it. I want you to come to me and say, hey, listen, I just haven't seen the joy in you recently. Because joy should be a part of who we are. So let's pray together. And I pray this morning that when you leave, that you will at least be saying, hey, I want the joy of the Lord. And I believe this morning we wouldn't be gathering if we didn't believe something could change in us this morning as we walk out, that God could do something in us in which we feel the joy of the Lord. So let's pray for that right now, would you? Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you and we need your joy. We need a joy that comes deep from within, that transforms us and transforms our marriages and transforms our family and transforms our kids and that we would know you in a deep and abiding way and that out of that, in spite of the situations in our, in our culture, things that we're going through personally and things we're going through as a nation, that we would exemplify and have the joy of the Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to read a couple of verses that are on your sheet there, and then we're going to cover the rest of them as we get to them. But look with me in John 15. This is a part of the upper room discourse that Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he talks about joy again. Again, these are his last words. These should be somber times. This would be, he's telling his disciples that he's about to be crucified, that he's going away, and they're like, why are you talking about joy? This isn't a time to talk about joy. No, it's exactly when it's time to talk about joy. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, saying to his disciples. As God has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. What he's talking about there is you will remain in this river of my love and joy if you're, if you're following me. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my, what? Joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete, might be full, might be uh, overflowing in your life. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down one's life for his friends. So what is joy? How can we have joy? I want to put this uh, statement on the screen here. And this is where I'm going to go. This is 
This is the rest of the sermon. I'm going to spend a lot of time on the first two, just so you know. Last two are going to be a little quicker, all right? Joy is choosing to live in the presence of God. Joy is choosing to live in the presence of God under His sovereign care, partnering in His eternal purposes while eagerly anticipating our future joy. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful, right? We're going to take it section by section. So, first is joy is choosing to live in the presence of God. So, what does that mean? Look with me on your scripture verse and read with me Zephaniah 317. He will delight over you. So we're looking, we're looking at uh, joy, just back up just a minute. We're looking at joy as a systematic understanding. It's a theology of joy. There's two ways to preach. One is preaching right through a book of the Bible, which we're doing in the book of Acts. And then there's another way of preaching is looking at throughout the entire scripture, what does God's word have to say about this subject, right? From Genesis to Revelation, what does the scripture say about Christ in the Old Testament? Running that all the way through the New Testament, that's kind of what we're doing here with joy. So we're going to look at joy from the New Testament, from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, from from Peter, from Paul. We're going to look at joy all encompassing this morning. So Zephaniah is in the Old Testament. You've never done a study in Zephaniah, but this is an unbelievable verse right here. He will delight over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love. He will dance for joy over you with singing. So my question to you this morning is, if God were to call a face-to-face meeting with you, right? You get a face-to-face meeting with your boss sometimes, someone who's in another uh, state, and they say, hey, I want to have a face-to-face meeting with you. And what's the first thing you think? I'm about to get fired. Something's wrong. What's going on? You get nervous. You get tense, right? What if God were to call a face-to-face meeting with you? What would you feel like? Oh, my God, what is wrong? What would I do? What's, he gonna, what's his face look like? If you were to see God's face, face to face, what would his face look like to you? You know, there's a study called the still face experiment, all right? And it's with mothers and with fathers. The one I was looking at was specifically fathers. And it has a father, and they're running this experiment with young babies, right? And so they asked the father to come and sit the baby right in front of them, and to play with the baby. And they have these little things that they do, and they're playing with a little giraffe, and they're, they're singing, and they're playing together, and the baby is just radiant. They're just excited, they're fun, they're cooing, and all of those things. And then the curator of this, um, this experiment says to the father, now I want you to turn away, and then I want you to look back at your child, and I want you just to have a complete still face. Don't say anything, don't look at the baby, just still face. So the father's just sitting in front of their child like this, and within about a minute, the child is trying to get their attention. They start cooing, they start trying to get their attention, then they start crying, then they start, they get totally disrupted. I want to ask you again, when you see the face of God, what does that look like to you? Is it just total still face, just, or is it a face of disgust? Is it a face that you'd say, hey, he's totally disappointed in me? But I guess I got to do it, right? What does his face look like to you? Read with me in these next verses. Because number 6, 24 through 26 says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 
And this next one, Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. And the way that should be uh, translated is with your face. Okay. It's in your presence. But the word there is about your face turning towards him in your presence is what? Fullness of joy, right? Do you feel that when you're in the presence of God, would you say, hey, I am joyful, I am at peace, I am totally loved, I am complete, I am totally satisfied if I were in the presence of God? Or would it be, I didn't really care if I'm there or not, or he's disgusted with me, or he's mad with me. What would be the face of God? And what should be the face of God based on these scriptures, right? So if you are in Christ, if you put your hope in Christ, this is going to be, this is going to define your theology. How does God see you? You know how he sees you? The same way he sees his son. Who when his son was baptized here on earth and John the Baptist baptized Jesus himself, there was a voice from heaven. It says the, the spirit of God came upon Jesus and there was a voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased whom I'm well pleased. This is my son. So if you are in Christ and Christ has paid for your sin and you've accepted him into your life and you know him and you've turned your life over to him, how does God see you? He sees you the same way. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. This is my son in whom I am well. You're like, no, no, you don't understand what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did this morning. You don't know how I think. You don't know what's going on in my life. I'm telling you, if you were in Christ, if you put your hope in Christ, that is the gospel, the good news. The good news is that it's not based on your behavior. It's based on what Christ did for you. And then your behavior begins to come out of the fact that God is already pleased with you. And then you begin to walk out of that. When you know that God is pleased with you, it changes you on the inside. It changes you. And now there's a desire to follow God. There's a desire to walk in his commands. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So the first thing is, that he delights over you. He delights over you. His face shines on you. The next thing is it says he dances for joy over you, right? My, uh, one of the things that my wife and I did, and this is, I'm just, again, kind of, this is transparent here. When our kids were born, our, we have two children, both of them are adopted, and we waited six years to have the first, and then another 21 months after that, God gave us our son. And so we were so overjoyed with having children after such a long wait that we started at our daughter's one-year birthday, we started dressing up on their birthday. We would dress up, we'd put things around our head, we'd put all these crazy glasses on, and we would bust into their room and we would sing, sign, sealed, delivered. I'm yours, right? So some of you know that song. It totally is ridiculous. I can't sing. My wife, better than me, but she can't sing either. Uh, well, she would say that, I think. Yeah, you would say that. We, we danced and we sang over our kids. I can't tell you the first time Julia was one years old. She literally you know, pulled up on her crib and was looking at us like, what in the world is going on here? But I'm telling you, we did that from one years old until they graduated and were out of our home. We did it every, every time. Why? Because we were overjoyed. We were overjoyed. Now, you, can you see God doing that? Not, not being silly like that, but do you see him overjoyed at you? No, maybe somebody else, but not me. 
No, I'm talking about you. Do you see him dancing over you, excited over you, or just tolerating you? What does the scripture say? If you're in Christ, he is dancing over you with great joy. The second thing is he quiets you with his love. Again, this is a picture of just a father or a mother picking up a child that's just totally screaming and off the rails. And all of a sudden, you, you got people like this. You get the, the baby whisperer, right? You hand them to mother and like, I don't know what happens, but they stop crying immediately. There's something about being in the presence of certain people that babies just stop crying. They're just at peace, right? That's the picture that we have here of God with each one of us. I have an old uh, pop-up camper. It's a, it's a beater. It's, uh, it's just a, it's, I did a little renovation on it, so it's livable. But I will take it sometimes out to some of the state parks, and I'll spend maybe two nights, sometimes three nights there in a state park, and I try not to take a bunch of stuff to do. I just take my Bible, and I take a journal, and I just say, God, I'm here to meet with you. And I'm telling you, over that time, he quiets me with his love. I just sense his presence. You know what? You can fish with God. You can hike with God, you can make a fire with God, you can hang out with God, you can just be with Him in His presence. And you can sense His presence when you seek Him. We're so busy. We have God available to us at any time, like we have water, but yet we don't really seek Him. And so, therefore, we're always turned up. Our hearts are racing because we don't have, we're dehydrated when it comes to God. He quiets you with his love. The last thing is he makes known to you the path of life. When you're in his presence, he makes known to you the path of life. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy. A friend, Bob Bodini, spoke uh, at one of our leader exchange, a business thing that we do. And he spoke there and he has this book called Two Chairs. And he just said, my mom told me to do this when I was in high school, and I started doing it when I got to college and realized my mom wasn't crazy. I started doing this. He said, my mom just told me, pull up two chairs in the morning. You sit in one, and I want you to imagine that Jesus himself is sitting next to you, and I want you just to talk to him. I just want you to pour out your needs to him. I want you to Talk to him as you were talking to your dad or to your mom. He's, he calls it two chairs. And all he does in this book is just explain how he does that. And he says it's radically transformed his life. You know what that's called? It's called prayer. It's amazing. It's just saying, hey, God, here's what's going on. And then there's a time, you know, there's a two-way deal. You know, usually when you talk, it's, you know, I talk to God. I don't really listen for him to talk back, right? But he will talk back. You can sense his presence. You can feel the sense of, hey, that's the direction I need to go. And if we take the time to be in his presence, it says that that's where he makes known to us the path of life. So joy is found in choosing to live, and it is a choice, guys. It is a choice. Choosing to live in his presence. And it's hard choices sometimes. We've got to let other things go. We've got to put down the Diet Cokes and the, the sodas and all the other things and just drink water, right? Pure water from God himself. Joy is also found under living under his sovereign care. Joy is found there, right? Do you know that joy is found when you completely surrender to God and say, God, I do believe you're sovereign. Every, I, would, I would assume most of you in this room would say, yes, I believe that God is totally in control. 
I believe that he's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing, right? We have our theology right until it deals with us, until we're in the middle of something. We're like, God, are you sure that you're in total control here, right? Look with me in Philippians 4. I don't know if that one's on there or not, but in Philippians, which is known to be the, the book of joy, right? Philippians is Paul. We learned about Paul in Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Paul. That's in Acts. He was Paul or Saul before. He was killing Christians, pulling them out of their homes and stoning them. Stephen was stoned while Paul was looking on. And he's making his way down to Damascus to uh, arrest more Christians. And God himself kind of blows him off of his horse. And then he comes to know Christ personally. And he would not be a guy that you would say, man, that Paul guy or that Saul guy, that guy's full of joy. Man, that guy just is full of joy. No, he was a Pharisee. Like, and you got to be doing everything right. You got to cross your T's and dot your I's or you're not right with God, right? He was not a joyful guy. And then he comes to know Christ and he is now writing a total book, a, a, a letter to back to the church at Philippi that we would look back on and say it's all about joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, I'm going to say it again, rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's 4, 4 through 6. And then in verse 8, he says, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about these things. That's where we find joy is knowing that God is sovereign and trusting in him complete. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, this is ironic that, that Paul is writing this specifically in Philippians. It would be joy in some of his other letters, but specifically in uh, the Philippians letter, he is in prison. Paul's in prison in Rome. He's writing this letter back to the church at Philippi while he's in prison waiting to be beheaded by, which eventually he was, by Nero. And he's writing to the church, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. What are you talking about, Paul? How are you rejoicing while you're in prison waiting to be killed for the faith? Because Paul learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He says, I can find joy. I can be joyful when I'm before kings and I'm talking about the gospel and I can be joyful while I'm in prison and I'm sharing the gospel with those prison guards and they're coming to no faith. I can be joyful anywhere that I'm at. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because Paul said, hey, God's sovereign. He's got me here. I knew I was going to Rome. I didn't know I was going to get to Rome this way, but this is not the way I'd planned it. But I knew that God had plans for me to go to Rome. This is the way he got me here, and I trust him completely. Have you ever gotten to that place where you're like, God, I, I trust you completely. I don't like the circumstances. I don't like being in prison. I don't, I don't like thinking about being beheaded. I don't like those things, but I trust you. I trust you. There's peace and there's joy in the midst of our, our situation if we trust in his sovereignty. The next thing is there's joy when we walk in his truth. Under his sovereign care, we walk in his truth. And so that's what uh, Jesus is talking about here in John 15. He says, if you keep my commands, 
you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this because I want you to have fullness of joy. What is he saying there? If you do everything right, I will love you? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, there is a river of life, all right? There's this river of life. I used to sing this as a kid. Some of you did too. I have a river of life flowing out of me, right? He's saying there's this river of God's love. There's this river of God's joy, and it's got some banks to it. And if you stay in that river, there is a river of joy there. That's where you're going to have complete joy. And when you get outside of those things, joy is going to be diminished. And so we've got to identify those things that are killing our joy. In Ephesians 4, this is again Paul. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. He says to them, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So what's he saying there? He's saying those are the joy killers. Those are the things that are killing your joy. And if you keep those in your life, you're not going to have full, uh, fullness of joy. And so I'm telling you these things. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you these things so that you will have fullness of joy. So I want to give you six things here. You can take some notes on this because this is real practical. The first thing is, in walking in his truth, you've got to be honest with yourself and others, right? You've got to be honest with yourself and say, hey, man, am I a person of joy? By and large, I'm not saying I have bad days. We all have bad days, right? But by and large, am I a person of joy? Maybe ask your spouse, mm, am I a person of joy? Maybe ask some friends around you, hey, am I a person of joy? Do, do, would you say that that exemplifies my life? And then you just got to be honest about that. Whether maybe it's true, maybe it's not, right? So be honest with yourself and others. Am I joyful? The second thing would be identify joy killers. Identify those things that are killing your joy. And those would be, again, in Ephesians 4.31, bitterness or rage or anger brawling, slander, these things, you say, man, I, I, I want to be joyful, but man, I just have this bitterness towards someone. I have this anger. I have this frustration. I, I live kind of on this edge of frustration. I don't know what it is, but I, I sense that if anybody were to say something to me, I might fly off the handle. There's something going on there. And you just got to be honest with yourself about that, right? And say, hey, if you want to overcome that, if you want to let God do something in your life, then you got to be honest about it and say, hey, I have identified that, man, I'm frustrated all the time, or I'm angry all the time. Frustration and anger are very similar, right? Or I'm bitter, or I'm jealous. I've got jealousy towards someone, or I'm envious of someone. All those things will kill your joy. And then you've got to, three, identify the source. So you may know, I've got, I'm frustrated. I, why am I frustrated? I don't know why I'm frustrated. I don't know what's going on there, but I've got this kind of burning inner anger or frustration about me, and I don't know where it's coming from. You got to take some time, maybe with friends, maybe with your spouse, maybe in prayer, of course, maybe even with a counselor. And you go and you say, hey, I don't know, but I've got this underpinning thing going on and I don't know where it's coming from. You've got to begin to identify where some of those feelings are coming from. And let me give you a few. It could be from a person. It could be from somebody you grew up with, maybe your own mom or dad. They were jacked up just like you're jacked up, right? Everyone's got challenges. And so maybe something comes from the way you grew up and people that you grew up with. Or maybe something in, in grade school. Someone treated you a certain way. And, man, and I'm not rewinding just trying to blame everything on our past. But I'm saying some things are there and they come forward. We don't even know why they're there. 
Maybe it's a, a, a desire that you have that's being frustrating you and you just go, you know what? I'm frustrated because I want to do this and I, I, I don't know how to do it or I can't figure out how to do it or I can't do it right now. Maybe it's social media, right? Every time you get on social media, you're like, I just get irritated, right? Or I just get stirred up. I get envious or get jealous or whatever it is. You know what you have to do? You got to go, I, I'm going to turn that off for a little while. Maybe it's Fox News. Maybe it's CNN. Maybe it's just watching that. My dad used to watch that all the time. I'm like, Dad, how do you watch this all day long? I don't care what it is, what your political persuasion is. You watch that all day long. You're like, oh, man, I'm just, the the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and I'm just a part of this deal, right? I mean, you just get depressed, right? So you, not that you can't know what's going on, but man, if it's affecting the way you live and it's sapping your joy, some point you might just have to turn it off for a while and just say, hey, I, I can get that news somewhere else. Just a suggestion, right? Just a suggestion. But what are the things that are stealing your joy? The next thing is that at some point when you identify that, you just got to confess it. You got to confess it to God and you got to confess it maybe to the person or the situation. Repent of that and say, God, I want you to take that away from me. And guess what? You can receive forgiveness. That's the gospel. Again, the gospel, it keeps coming up. The good news is that I can confess my sin and he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You could have been bitter your whole life. You confess that to God and you go, I I just receive his forgiveness. I don't have to, as JT say, I don't have to prove it to him for two years before he'll forgive me. He forgives me. You confess it, you repent, and you turn to him. And guess what? After you do that, you rinse and you repeat the rest of your life, right? And But that's joyful. That's the hope that we have. It's like, hey, if I'm dealing with something, I identify it. I let God put his finger on it. I confess it to him. I repent of that. I receive his forgiveness. I wake up the next day and I do it again. And I go, man, why am I? And then you confess it to him and you repent of that and you receive his forgiveness and you get up and do it again. And you keep walking through life. And guess what? Through that receiving God's joy in your life, you will overcome those things. Many of those things will just begin to fade away in your life. And so we find joy, first of all, by choosing to be in his presence. I want to choose to drink from the fountain of life. I want to choose to live under his sovereign care, trusting that he is sovereign and trusting in his sovereign command so that when I walk in his truth, I find find joy. The next thing is we find joy in partnering in his purposes. You know the best thing you can do to find joy is stop thinking about yourself. Really. I mean, if we stop thinking about ourselves long enough to think there's other people in the room, there's other people that have need, there are other things going on in the world, man, it's amazing how that changes us when we stop navel-gazing, right? When you're inside your own head, and I only know this because I do it all the time, right? When you're inside your head all the time, that's where the, the thoughts start coming in. But the minute you begin to go, man, what about my spouse? What about my children? What about the, the person down the street? What about the people around me? So the, the best way to find joy is to partner with God in his purposes. And his purposes are to love people. So we've got to love one another. Number one, in the church, we've got to love one another. So what's going on in your small group? 
Who in your small group needs encouragement? Who in your small group needs some love from you? Who in your small group could use a meal? Who in your small group, in your community group, could say, hey, this is my posse, this is my family, these are the people I'm doing life with, how can I serve them? And guess what? We all got to do that, right? How many of you have been on a, a, a trip before? And uh, maybe with your family or maybe you go on a road trip with friends and all of you have iPhones or, or some equivalent to that and you've got one charging cord. You're like, what? why does not nobody brings charging cords? And you got one charging cord and you got five phones and everybody's walking around at one to two percent. Hey, man, can I get a hit of that? And you get a hit of that, you know, and you're like, I just need to charge my phone here. Right. And everybody's trying to keep it at one to two to three. I got four percent. Great. You got more than I've got. I got to plug in now. Right. You see, if we're all looking for one person or a few people to get our joy from, it's just not going to work. But if all of us had a, a cellular, like a, a solar panel on the back of our phones and we just got in the presence of other people and we, we, got our, we got our source from God and then we begin to do that from one another, if everybody in this room is thinking about other people, guess what? All the needs get taken care of. It's when I've only got 1% and I'm trying to get the, you know, but if all of us are looking to one another and serving one another, then everybody in this room begins to be taken care of. It's when we look internally that things get dropped. The next thing is that we've got to love the world. So we've got to love each other within the church. But guess what, church? We're called to get outside of ourselves as a church even and love the world. Love people that we don't like very much. Love people that we disagree with. Love people that are of the different persuasion politically. We've got to love people around us. So not only do we love people in the church, but then we've got to go, hey, what about my neighbor next door? What do they need? What does my coworker need? And listen, if you make this a lifestyle and not just a once a year thing at Christmas, but if you just make this a lifestyle and go, you know what? I'm not the guy that was late to the meeting. I'm the guy that brought the donuts, right? The, the old commercial. I'm the guy that brought the donuts. I'm the guy that's looking for people around me and going, hey, I know you like this. I just brought this for you. I just want to love on you. I just want to do little things. If you make that a lifestyle, I'm telling you, it will, it will radically transform your joy. So let me get real practical with you here. We, we are renting the CERA. Jesse's here every Sunday morning. Anybody willing to love on Jesse and take him something next Sunday? Give him a gift certificate, something just to love on him? How about Chrissy who runs the CERA or anybody that works here? You know, this is real practical stuff as a church to go, hey, let's look around us. What about those apartments that we're going to have a, a, a meeting at? We're going we're gonna to meet there on the 15th. What about the apartments? What could we do? How could we serve people? How could we love people? That's what great churches do. They go, how can we get outside of ourselves and serve other people? Love one another, love the world, and then make disciples. So I told you the last two are going to be quick, all right? So the last one here is anticipating our future joy. And I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again because every time Paul talks about joy, every time he talks about the gospel, every time he talks about the good news, he is talking about something that happened in the past, something that is currently happening to you. You were saved. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you were saved. You are being saved. Every day he's doing work in you. And the truth is that someday in the future, you are going to be saved. You, we are all going to be saved. Those who put their trust in Christ, you're going home to be with him. In fact, Jesus says, again, upper room discourse, he says, 
in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You hear this all the time at funerals, but he's not talking about a funeral. He's saying, let your heart not be troubled. Trust in God. Again, sovereignty of God. Trust in God. Believe in God. Trust also in me. He says, listen, trust me. In my father's house are many mansions or many rooms, right? In my father's house are many rooms, and I am going there to prepare a place for you so that when I come back to get you, you can be with me there. Jesus is comforting his disciples by saying, hey, there's a future joy that is to come. Now, you can, you can experience it here. You can get samples of it here. It's like Costco, right? Go to Costco, and you go, man, that peanut butter pie, I want to get a sample of that, right? Can't buy it yet. They can't get it until Thanksgiving, but I, I can sample it now, right? Like, man, I, I want some more of that. That's what your joy here should be like. Like, man, that, that was good, but I want more of that. And guess what? The peanut butter pie is coming. It's coming later when everything is going to be put in order. Jesus is coming back. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. He's going to put everything as it should be. It's going to be shalom, true shalom, which shalom is peace, which means everything in order as it should be. That's going to happen. Is that good news? So that's the good news. And that's not just something that's like, oh, yeah, that's a churchy thing. Oh, yeah, they believe it. No, that's going to happen, guys. It's going to happen. And we need to live in light of that going, it's bad, but it's getting better. God is coming back. Jesus is coming back. So would you pray with me? Actually, I'm going to kind of lead you through some prayer, okay? So this morning, in terms of joy, I asked you, if you were to see the face of God, what would be on that face? Would it be the still face experiment? It just ignores you? Disgusted, disappointed? angry, what would it be? And if you're in Christ this morning, you can know that none of those are true because he sees you as he sees his son. Well done, my good and faithful daughter. Come into your master's happiness. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Would you just know that Bank on that. Put that in your mind. He, in Christ, is pleased with you. Second, do you believe in his sovereign care for you? Do you trust in his sovereign care? Right now, you might be going through difficulty and problems, and you go, man, it's hard to trust God. I just want to encourage you. Have faith. Trust him that he is at work, even through difficulty. And then third, there's sometimes there's things that we can control. There's bitterness or anger or resentment or desires, things that are stealing your joy. Would you just identify those and say, hey, God, this is, this is what it is. Or at least be willing to do the hard work to identify that. God, would you... Would you Put it on my heart. What is, what's stealing my joy? I want to be a joyful person. And I just want to ask you to keep this scripture sheet, and I want you to read over these scriptures every day this week. 
He will delight over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love. He will dance for joy over you with singing. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Last thing is, someone here might not know Christ. Maybe that you're just kind of walking through the doors and you're, you're not sure what to think about this whole thing. But there is peace and joy found in Christ. Not in being a good person, not being religious, not just coming to church, but this, you would know him and receive what he did for you on the cross. If you don't know what that is, you don't understand that, we want to we want to spend some time with you. Would you just let us know that on the visitor card? Hey, I'd like to know more. Want to understand about the gospel? Let us know. And also let us know if you're here and there's something that we can pray for you about, come alongside you, do anything we can to help you, point you towards joy. So let's pray together. Father, we just bow before you. We thank you for your word that is true. And yet sometimes, Father, it's so hard for us to truly believe that you are pleased with us in spite of our behavior, that you're pleased with us, that in Christ, that we can receive that forgiveness and we can receive your joy, not because we're good people, but because your son is good and the gospel is good. God, would we, would you work in us to be a joyful people? that Clear Fork Community Church would be a joyful place where people can find hope in this life. And ultimately, Father, we thank you that you have promised that you are coming again. You're going to put everything in order. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's take this last few minutes as we sing everything that that JT sings, you're singing gospel, you're singing the scripture. And so let's stand together, sing this one last song, and then we'll be dismissed. Thanks so much for listening to the Clear Fork Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, head to clearforkchurch.org. Take heart, Fort Worth. He has overcome the world. We hope to see you soon.